Welcome back to episode 20 of the Student Physio Podcast. Today we have the pleasure of welcoming Jen McNessfield onto the podcast. Jen is currently a second year on her master's pre-registration at Oxford Brookes University and is one of two physios on the 150 Student Leaders Programme, which is run by the Council of Deans of Health. She is also one of the founders of Physio Declares, which is an environmental physiotherapy group in the UK. So Jen, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Lewis. Thank you so much. And um, thanks for having me. It's great to be here talking to you guys this morning. So do you want to give us a wee bit of a background? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think yeah, I had a bit of a different route into physiotherapy than um, most people. So as you said already, I'm on the pre-registration master's course, having already had um, done a degree, but that was a wee while ago. So I studied uh, physiology and sports science at Glasgow University and graduated in 2009. And then I had a career as a army officer. Um, so I went to Sandhurst in 2010 and then did seven years of army service, including two tours of Afghanistan, which was good, awesome, busy, sandy, hot. Um, but yeah, it gave me lots of the skills that I definitely find I draw on now. Um, and it's been super useful in placements and um, yeah, I'm hoping I can kind of bring a different skill set that's very transferable into the NHS when I start working as a physio this summer. Yeah, so welcome, Jen. So uh, in our previous conversation, you mentioned how uh, Physio Declares came about through the, the leadership programme. So did you just want to tell us a little bit more about this leadership programme and how, and how uh, Physio Declares came about? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, gosh, I think I was just sat on my laptop one evening studying and I saw on Twitter um, this advert for a leadership programme called 150 Student Leaders. And I hadn't heard about it, but ha having had a wee look at it, I thought, do you know what? It was one of these things where it's like a better just sticking an application. Didn't think anything of it. Didn't think I'd get on the programme at all because um, they only take 50 students a year. And then a couple of months later, I got an email saying, congratulations, you've been selected on the programme. And I'd literally completely forgotten that I'd even applied for it. Um, so, yeah, essentially, it's, it's a year long programme run by the Council of Deans for Health. And they um, they provide you with a conference. Um, so you meet up with all the other students on it. And it's allied health professionals from around the UK. So I got to chat to like orthotists and um, midwives, nurses, mental health nurses, radiographers, all students um, and just kind of sharing our experiences and our ideas, things we're passionate about um, and all kind of under the guise of leadership. So that was two days at a hotel in Reading, which was really good fun. And then over the academic year, you get placed with a leadership coach. So I um, was given a physiotherapy program lead from Cardiff University. Um, hi to Jill. Uh, she's great. <laughs> she's my leadership coach. So I just I've met with her a few times over the year. and We've kind of discussed like my career aspirations, ways to develop leadership skills. And most specifically, she's given me a bit of help with a leadership project. So being really interested in the environment and sustainability, which I started my physiotherapy program already interested in, I kind of thought, oh, this could be maybe a good opportunity to, you know, use some of my transferable leadership skills from the military. Um, so yeah, it was essentially because of that, I ended up linking up with 
a few other qualified physios who had already been, you know, speaking to the Chartered Society of Physiotherapy about sustainability, about what's been done within the profession, but not really getting very far. So after COP26, we all found each other and set up this group called Physiotherapy Declares, who are trying to bring sustainability to the physiotherapy profession in the UK. And you're only one of two physios on this um, board, am, am I right? Yeah, there's there's um, another physio student um, on the programme as well. So it's just the two of us and then everyone else. I think there's 55 this year because um, there was extra funding to get five more AHPs on the programme. Um, yeah, so all the other 53 students are all different AHPs, which is really excellent because particularly if you're not getting the, the chance on placements to chat to all the different AHPs, this is 14 AHPs, um, it's been really great to just actually ask like, oh, you're an optometrist. What do you actually do? How might I work with you? Um, which you wouldn't necessarily get the exposure to. So, yeah, I've, I really enjoyed that aspect of the leadership programme. And um, there's another conference coming up in April where we again get to meet together, chat about our projects, what we've done over the year um, and just do a bit more learning and kind of reflection on leadership. Fantastic. Um, we're happy that you're carrying the baton for physiotherapy. It's, uh, it's really good to hear. Um, <laughs> so for part one, we just wanted to talk about how uh, climate health is relevant to physiotherapy profession as a whole. So did you want to give the listeners a bit of a rundown about how you think physio and the environment is linked? Yeah, so I'm trying to think how I got into it. I, it was our very first lecture from our programme leader at Oxford Brooks, and I spotted a little logo on one of his slides, and it said the Environmental Physiotherapy Association. And I was like, what is that? Because, as I said, I was already kind of aware about climate change. It was something I was concerned about, um, but it was very much more that, I did that in my personal life. So I make sure I recycle and I try and cycle instead of use the car whenever I can. And I then saw this on this slide of this degree I'm starting and thought, oh, is this linked? How, what's environmental physiotherapy? This sounds really random. And I couldn't really, I just couldn't really understand what that might be. So I gave a bit of a Google and I came across the Environmental Physiotherapy Association. And it's a great, organization great website I definitely recommend everyone has a wee look and started kind of reading some of the ideas and the evidence and the concept on that website and it really got me thinking about the links between physiotherapy and the environment and throughout my two years on this course it's kind of all started to make a little bit more sense to me because when when we think about how we interact with our patients um, particularly when we use things like the biopsychosocial model, which um, you know is the way healthcare is moving towards and far more of the way that physiotherapy is placed and kind of really considering our patients holistically existing in the environments that they live in rather than kind of the biomedical model of just, this is a body and it's broken and need to try and fix it. Um, it's kind of through these links that to me, it makes sense that physiotherapy is you know, related to the environment that we're in. Um, and I think in terms of environmental physiotherapy or kind of the sustainability side of it, it's just broadening it slightly. So maybe it's where we've thought about, you know, someone who's had a stroke 
and how we're going to help them live their life to the best that they can in their home well we're just thinking that environment slightly wider and you know maybe it's the child with asthma who lives in a lower socio-demographic area which has really poor air quality and they get way more asthma exacerbations because of the air quality so it's kind of linking it a little bit wider and thinking about it from that environmental point of view and how that influences the the lives and the conditions that our patients deal with on a day-to-day basis um and i think you can also take it a little bit further in terms of like the connection with nature which has been massive over covid the number of people that kind of found these local green spaces which they maybe hadn't been accessing before and the evidence for you know how green space can benefit our mental health it has really come on in the last few years and is I think in physiotherapy it's thinking about how we can tap into that and how we can access it and how we can be aware of it across our practice. Yeah I think what what you've said there is probably a good time to point people towards the website um so I'll, I'll let you plug that in a second, but essentially <clears throat> people who will be listening will be thinking, well, okay, so now you've kind of described how one can fit with the other in terms of someone with asthma, for example, but how, how do we, how do we marry up the, the idea that we've got a health or a climate crisis and these are all the things that climate change is doing to the environment and then and then this is the this is the health um problems that are coming out as a result of that so um uh, one of the examples that i remember um quite well from the website you, you can give a couple of others but the the forest fires is a really good example now obviously that's not something that happens often in the uk um but but the effects that that would have on someone's lungs are are astronomical um but yeah it's never really talked about in the same way that smoking is but they're you know they're both of the same evil essentially aren't they yeah definitely um and it yeah it's kind of just like weeding out these examples to maybe make it a bit more tangible to be able to kind of get your head around it because it's a pretty massive topic but yeah in terms of like the hard evidence if anyone really wants to get their head stuck into it I would highly recommend having a look at the um the recent report from the IPCC um so that's the intergovernmental panel on climate change so they produced a report I think just the end of February um linking kind of the most recent evidence on climate change and then there's a whole chapter on specifically how it's going to affect health um so that's a good place to go if you really want to see kind of some of the the real black and white figures on it but I think in terms of physiotherapists the kind of things that the ways we can think about how health is linked to climate change so I've already mentioned respiratory health um, and you know that we know that increased air pollution will cause exacerbations in um, respiratory diseases Um, also the increasing temperatures are changing um kind of like pollen levels and things so you know we're finding people getting more allergy reactions which again is you know needs management needs healthcare input um the increasing heat um so we know that increased heat is linked to increased numbers of deaths 
Um, and if, if we think particularly about, say, our more elderly patients that might struggle more to manage their temperatures, manage their own body temperature and heat, or maybe some of our like neurological patients who really um, might struggle and, you know, to be able to keep themselves cool. And the kind of housing that we're living in the UK right now isn't made for these hotter temperatures. We don't have things like air conditioning or, um, you know, if you think about even just the last few summers when it's been really hot and how much people struggle to sleep at night. If you've also got a long-term condition that you're managing at the same time, that's really hard. Um, so it's these kind of things that as our climate is changing, um, we can think about and how we're managing our patients and maybe the specific patient groups that we work with. Um, but yeah, unfortunately the list is very long and very, um, very upsetting, I think, and quite scary. And that in itself is another health um, impact in terms of just the mental health of the anxiety you know climate anxiety is real and I think our generation actually is one of the generations that may be suffering from it more we're really aware of what's going on in our world and we're thinking about what the future might look like for us for any families that we might have in the future so yeah that's another one like the kind of the mental impact of the worry about climate change coming because um, when you hear things like, oh, there's going to be food insecurity and food scarcity and water scarcity, you're kind of like, geez, oh, like, what's my life going to look like in 50 years? What's it going to be like when I'm an old person? And it's going to be harder for me to look after myself and get about and I might have some health conditions. So, yeah, it's kind of understandable, really, I think, how it's, it's, that, it's that worrying. Um, and it really does come across as doom and gloom. And it, it kind of saps you of any hope because you're like, geez what are we going to do about this um so kind of you personally for me I try and just focus on what I can control and what I can do and that's part of why like I'm here today talking to you guys and why I've been involved in physiotherapy declares because like for me doing that makes me feel a little bit better um yeah when you do think about it all it's really it's really worrying yeah so I think we've nicely covered um climate's uh, health impact on on patient health but uh, just last time we we spoke we touched on how um healthcare's contributing to to climate change and and i'll yeah again i'll just signpost to the physio declares website it nicely it gives more information on that um but could you just briefly summarize just for people who maybe haven't thought about it yet in great detail just to get them thinking uh, how healthcare contributes to climate change um so i'll just to bring something to the table so last time we spoke we mentioned about the the nhs graph and the, and the carbon footprint and, and things like that so did you just want to give a brief you know summary of things yeah absolutely so um yeah we've talked about how um, climate change is going to affect our health and is already affecting our health and the health of patients but um Kind of the irony of it is as a healthcare system, particularly if we take the UK as an example, we're contributing to this issue. Um, so kind of the like responsibility maybe that we have as healthcare professionals to start thinking about um, like, we're making this problem worse. Maybe we want to think about that and kind of analyze the impact that we're having on this. So yeah, you mentioned there, um, like when you, the so the NHS has got a plan to reach carbon net zero by 2045 and um, so in doing that they've like assessed the carbon footprint of the NHS and it's around four to five percent 
so four to five um, percent of the UK's overall carbon footprint, which is pretty massive. Um, I read a thing this morning actually that said that the overall carbon output of the NHS is bigger than um, I think it said Heathrow Airport on an annual basis. Wow. So yeah, when you think about it from that point of view, you're like, oh, because like the air industry has this like really you know bad reputation about mm. how it's like ruining the world and then like the nhs is just like quietly like pumping out all this carbon but we're like oh it's fine because it's healthcare <laughs> but actually yeah i think it does need a bit more scrutiny and we like we've got a responsibility to do what we can so yeah it's things like um so like transport whether that's patient transport visitor transport and um, the actual nhs fleet and then staff travel um, again, another statistic I read the other day said that apparently one in 20 vehicles on the road are related to the NHS, which again is massive. So that's like 5% of vehicles on the road. Um, you know, so that's, so that's something that can be looked at. Um, and we've got obviously the carbon footprint of things like, like the medicines that are being produced, um, the infrastructure that the NHS has itself. So like the buildings, if you think about like, for those of you maybe have placements on ICU, Think about the power that goes into just sustaining one patient on ICU with the ventilators, maybe the pumps and drips, the lighting, like a big bear hugger to keep them at the right temperature. Um, so the acute setting, um, like building infrastructure, is a really massive um, part of the uh, contribution to the NHS's carbon footprint. Um, also, um, inhalers. So I definitely don't know a huge detail on this. But um, for asthma management and, and inhalers, there's certain gases within inhalers that have been prescribed that really contribute to um, climate change, whereas um, there's more environmentally friendly ones that can be used. So um, that in itself um, has a pretty big contribution. Um, I think yeah, it's 5%, it says, um, on the NHS's carbon footprint mapping. Oh, it is anaesthetic gases and meter dose inhalers five percent of carbon footprint so um yeah i think just on the um on the point about the inhalers i remember um talking to uh i can't remember one of the the companies that promote inhalers but they were saying that they've started to change almost like their approach slightly in terms of how they market um their inhalers to to the nhs and how they're trying to promote sort of a more sustainable um, inhaler. So they've there's a couple of them who are trialing and um, the the little canisters that you, you obviously get the the medicine in um, can be like reusable. So you'll you'll get sort of a dosage of of canisters, use them up, send them back, they'll refill them and send them out to you. Um, and the the likes of the Respeva um, inhalers are now recyclable so some of the ones so obviously you've got your all that can be you can reuse the the actual plastic of it over and over again but some of them like the respivas are single use um so they're actually now making sort of plastic canisters or if you like that can be reused into their inhaler whereas before it was you got 20 puffs out of it and then you had to you had to bend it essentially um, so I think some of the big pharma companies are trying to do it, whether their motivation is that people are more environmentally conscious. So that's their sort of marketing strategy to get people to invest or they're actually, you know, 
they're worrying about but the environment who, who knows yeah definitely and I think um it's it does give real hope like when you see all these little schemes and projects and innovations and change that is happening um you know we're not in a case of there's this horrendous problem and it's going to you know mean the end of humanity like we do have some solutions there's things being done and like that example you give about inhalers is a great one like there's stuff that we can do and there's there's hope but just about kind of well for me I feel like just get everyone pointing in the right direction and kind of like realizing what what is going on and our involvement in it and you know everyone can do what they can do and that might be a little thing that might be a big thing we don't need you know one person doing things perfectly you know one company being the most environmentally friendly ever what we just need is everybody considering it and doing what they can in the you know within their own way yeah I think that um links really nicely into what we wanted to talk about next and wanted to be a bit more positive and offer a bit more hope I think maybe pick up the (laughs) episode um a bit more and, and and go from talking about the relevance of climate health to physiotherapy and now how physio maybe offers a bit more hope as a, as a green healthcare profession. So um, just wanted to talk about how physio might be able to offer a solution to the healthcare's effect on, on climate change. Yeah, um, so when I, um, when I spoke earlier about how I'd kind of heard of this concept of environmental physiotherapy and I was really like wondering what that might be and, you know, what it means, um, was kind of in like doing a bit of reading and looking what's out there that I kind of had that light bulb moment where I was like right physiotherapy what is it that we do well we use our hands and our brains and communication essentially to help our patients now that you couldn't get more low carbon you couldn't get greener than that that is what we do that is the essence of, phys- of physiotherapy you know we are the green healthcare solution And it's super exciting because I feel like with all the evils that come with climate change, maybe for physiotherapy, it's actually a a good thing because we're trying to move towards sustainable healthcare. That is the future of what the NHS needs to look like. And we've got we've got a massive solution to that. Like this we can contribute massively. You know, if you think about the number of surgeries that we can prevent with like conservative management instead of needing joint replacements or you know neck surgery for a radiculopathy whatever it might be um and also helping patients um kind of manage their conditions non-pharmacologically so you know we can help reduce the reliance on painkillers or opiates all of which have got a carbon footprint as we discussed you know they get in the water systems so um yeah like it just makes sense that you know physiotherapy we're we're the green the green option and for us as well we've got a massive role in health promotion so we've talked about how the NHS contributes to the the UK's carbon footprint but if we can in our roles as physiotherapists help keep the populations healthier we're preventing the need for accessing that kind of high carbon footprint product at the end of the day. So just by keeping people healthier, keeping them out of the healthcare system, that in itself is reducing the carbon footprint of the NHS. So it's super exciting because you can kind of think about the contribution that we can have to this kind of big problem that humanity is facing. And I really do see it as an opportunity for for physiotherapy and us kind of being at the forefront 
kind of like leading these options for for sustainable healthcare? Yeah, I think like you say, it's promising and it's um it's quite exciting to be someone who's part of that profession. You know that we can help to influence that change, um, but also offer the solution at, at the same time. So something that in terms of uh, provoking change um, to to the impact on the environment and healthcare's effect. So we've obviously mentioned before in our in our conversation about the individual organisational and, and and leadership um levels of responsibility and, and for action and change and how we talked about this idea of the movement below creates a, a shift above uh, and change above um so i just wanted to see what your thoughts were about um that individual level of responsibility and how that can can help to impact uh healthcare's effect on climate change um maybe away from the physio profession side of things but um you know that uh individual responsibility aspect yeah, so I think, you know, from, from what we've discussed so far, that it is quite evident that, like, change does need to happen. We can't kind of, unfortunately, stick our heads in the sand and just be like, oh, hopefully it'll all be fine. Um, <laughs> like, things do need to change. And, you know, there's loads of stuff happening, and it's really hopeful seeing all these little projects and different ways that things are starting to be done, and, and it's innovation. Um but it, yeah, it's kind of like what you said, Connor, thinking about where that change is happening and um, how can we maybe be involved or things that we can do or be aware of. Um, so you're starting kind of from the individual like clinician level, like us as students, we're the future of this physiotherapy profession. So like, what can we maybe think about and or think about incorporating into our practice once we graduate? So um, I think, you know, things even just as simple as like a bit of, like own CPD, like educating yourself a bit more about um, what it all means, what it is. And I think for the listeners out there, they're already listening to this podcast. So they're, <laughs> they're kind of doing that already, which is good. Um, but yeah, also in terms of like at your own individual level as, as a physio, um, maybe having a look at your travel to work. Um, can you jump on a bike for one day a week or maybe get a bus um, instead of driving? Can you walk? Are you within a few miles? Um, all of which is good for your own health so that's good um, and then maybe like your own energy usage um, you know is that you know making sure you turn the lights off after you leave your clinic room you don't leave them on overnight or turn your computer screen off really simple little things just like your and your own energy usage um, and I quite like the idea of you know thinking at it as we've touched on leadership like thinking on it from that own kind of like leading by example. So, you know, there's stuff within our HCPC standards of conduct about us um, kind of maintaining, looking after our own health, to kind of to set examples to patients and also to make sure we're fit for practice and we're healthy enough mentally and physically to do our physical job looking after patients. But, you know, maybe there's something in there as well about our, the way we do kind of live our lives and incorporating sustainable practices within to our own lives and is that something maybe we can think about doing to set the example to our patients the same way you know we keep active and keep fit and look after our own health to set the example to patients it's easier to empathize with somebody who's trying to do more physical activity for their health um, as a physio it's far easier to empathize with them when you when you do that yourself you can talk about things that work for you you can you know have these conversations so maybe kind of going forward us investigating our own kind of sustainable lifestyle could be something that we can do 
to then be able to empathize and have those conversations with patients where it's appropriate. Um, but yeah, in terms of then maybe more with patients, things we can think about to incorporate sustainability, a big one massively after the pandemic is PPE. So kind of these single use resources, face masks and gloves and um, aprons. So, you know, thinking about how we're disposing them, thinking about using them when it's necessary and not when it's not necessary. Um, and also sourcing responsibly. Um, there's some great stuff out there if um, the listeners want to have a Google of Revolution Zero. So they've come up with these reusable, um, but like clinically safe face masks that have a great little logo on them as well about the changing temperatures. So have a Google of that. I'll, we can put it in the show notes. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, there's this innovation and examples like that where we can source PPE better. And I think there is one, I can't remember where it is, but there's an NHS trust that's taken on these now reusable face masks, which is great. That's less mask going into landfill. So, you know, that's that's a, something that you can think about as an individual clinician in terms of when you're treating your patients. Um, or maybe it's like having that chat with a patient about how they got to the clinic that day maybe they can cycle but they're not going to do that unless there's the infrastructure in place for them so having a bike rack outside the hospital or outside the clinic where you're working um and then on the kind of wider impact of like healthcare's carbon footprint um thinking about patients like medication use or do they really need that referral to the MRI which has a huge carbon footprint and what can be done beforehand that might actually be better for the patient as well before you kind of go down that a kind of heavy carbon footprint choice of diagnostics or treatment. Um, and there's some GPs I think are really leading with the way. There's some really exciting stuff out there. Um, so on Instagram at climate GP um, is a GP who started kind of bringing like climate and lifestyle kind of assessment and prescription into her work. So just the same way you might do like a lifestyle assessment on, on somebody looking at what the physical activity is like, what the diet's like, do they smoke, all these kind of real determinants of health and lifestyle choices, but just also bringing the climate aspect into that. We've already spoken about how leaving the car at home for a day to get to work and instead jumping on your bike where that's reasonable, that's also good for your health. So loads of these things are so inextricably linked, you know, is it reducing red meat intake? Again, that reduces your risk of bowel cancer, but it's also really good for the planet. So it's these ways that we can kind of link these things in where appropriate and where the patient wants to have that conversation, but kind of on the real bigger macro scale, when, when we do and when patients pick these more sustainable options, it's also better for their health in the long run because that's less contribution to climate change, which as we know is gonna affect our health. So. Yeah, it's really exciting the ways we can think about kind of incorporating it as kind of individual clinicians. Yeah, I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head there in terms of there's there's umpteen examples of what we can do as individuals to to make a small difference for ourselves. But if you've got if you've got hundreds of thousands of people doing a small thing, all of a sudden that that really starts to add up. I think just one thing I would add on to that is that physios are notorious tea and coffee drinkers. <laughs> um, maybe next time don't fill the kettle up full for two cups of coffee and and just fill it to what you need to because I think particularly kettles and microwaves that are used so frequently, um, the the energy demands that they actually require to boil a kettle or to have 
a microwave on at 800 or 750 watts is would surprise quite a few people i think um you know you're just flicking a button on a kettle but you're actually using up an obscene amount of energy to to boil that um to boil that kettle um so i suppose then moving on to the the organizational part this is maybe more relevant to to clinicians who maybe own a private practice um where there's maybe a small team or um it's not it's not quite as large as um the nhs as an organization it's maybe more departments um with within that um so if, if we kind of think about fracture clinics or msk patients things like that um jen what what are your thoughts on sort of the responsibility that organizations should be taking yeah i think um th there's lots of stuff that can be done at that kind of like department or organization or, or team level as well um I think going in as a brand new band five can maybe a bit be a bit scary going in and suddenly saying, right, everyone, I did a module or I heard this podcast on sustainable physiotherapy and we're going to change everything. It's going to be brilliant. Um, but I think it's really important to remember as a new member of the team, a new band five, you bring such fresh eyes um, to a team. And I think um, as scary as it can be, um, just like having the confidence and remembering like what what you can contribute having a new way of looking at things and having that innovation is a real asset to the team so just to kind of like have that confidence to speak out if you see something and you know you, you can make a difference um so yeah in terms of at a team level for sustainability changes um there's a really great model on the Centre for Sustainable Healthcare's website, um, and it's called the Sustainable Quality Improvement Tool. So it's essentially like a change management tool where you can assess um, a change based on um, kind of the carbon footprint and um, how, you know how how can changes or efficiencies be made that will also reduce carbon footprint or kind of like benefit. Um, a process by reducing the impact it has on the climate so um, you know that's the kind of thing that could be applied say to like a patient pathway you know maybe looking at the process of a knee replacement and how many times is that patient having to travel in to the clinic to come and see people can that be reduced down can something be done virtually you know how much single-use disposable um, like PPE and dressings are being used you know it's, it's looking at it from that point of view but when that's done across an entire patient pathway for however, you know, the thousands of patients that go through that every year, that can make a really big difference. Um, or it might be looking at um, kind of existing transport methods. So the Newcastle Hospitals Trust, their community paediatric therapy service um, ran a trial project last year where they switched over to e-bikes for the community therapy services. So they have a pool of e-bikes and instead of jumping in the car, particularly to do these shorter journeys, they can jump on the bike, go out to the patient's home, see them and then come back. It's better for the environment. They beat the traffic. Uh, having lived in Newcastle, there's horrendous traffic in Newcastle. So <laughs> getting on a bike could only be a good thing. Um, and yeah, it's good for their health as well. So um, and I, I, I'm not sure, I haven't seen the data on how the project went, but I imagine it may even have reduced journey time. So, you know, you're saving on clinician time there, which is only money. So it's, it's these little things that can be done, but it just requires being a bit bold, thinking outside the box and doing things differently from how they've always been done. 
Um, and I think physiotherapists have like a real role to play kind of in these like working groups or in like at the table in these meetings where these decisions are being made. You know, we're experts on movement for health. We're experts on behavior change. We know about active travel. You know, getting a seat at the table in these groups within a trust or within kind of a private company um, so we can put our point across. You know, I think that's, again, like really exciting and a really like big opportunity for kind of the expansion of physiotherapy as a role of where we can provide our expertise to contribute to sustainable change going forward. Um, and yeah, kind of other things organizationally as well, you know, whether it be something like organizing an in-service training day on sustainable healthcare or, you know, a particular aspect of it. Um, thinking about energy usage, say it's like a private clinic. Um, is it a green energy supplier with like um, renewable energy rather than um, kind of a fossil fuel energy supplier? Um, there's great projects where they donate old um, or not used walking aids. So physionet.org.uk, we can put it in the show notes, but they're a great organization that collect up um, like old wheelchairs and stuff and take it to lower income countries who maybe don't have access to materials like that. So instead of it being wasted at our end, which it would be, it can go and be reused. Um, and I think, you know, as, as we touched on with physiotherapy being the sustainable healthcare choice, just simply advocating for our profession, pushing rehab forward, you know, making sure patients have a good go at their physiotherapy and they're supported to do it with the evidence-based practice that we work on. That in itself is sustainable because if you can get one patient not needing surgery, then you've, you've reduced carbon footprint right there. So just remembering by pushing physiotherapy forward, that itself is a change and is, is a good thing we can do. It's only good for us and our, and our patients. Yeah, definitely. And just coming back to that that cycling initiative, that, that sounds like a, a really good one, you know, getting outside and doing some exercise on the way to seeing different patients sounds like a fantastic solution to me. I know I definitely want to be a part of that. Um, and then just adding on to something that I was just thinking about when you were speaking there about cycling and then Lewis talking about, um, you know, the impact of a microwave or a kettle on a, on a smaller individual scale of, of responsibility. Um was how maybe if you if you're someone that struggles to uh, gain a, an idea or understand the concept of how much electricity you may use at a certain time um go ahead and try and uh, generate 700 watts on a bike trainer for okay. five or ten minutes and you'll you'll soon realize how much electricity that really is you know it, it brings it home and makes you understand you know that's you know you might think the kettle's only on for a couple of minutes but trying to keep that power and generate that much power in that space of time is, is a, is a definitely a challenge. Um, and then just like a personal reflection on an example of how, uh, the organizer organizational responsibility can impact, um, and combine with the individual responsibility. So, you know, recently there's been a big push to, to energy meters and people having those in their, in their homes. Um, you know, that's, that's a win-win for me, I think, because, you are becoming more mindful of how much you're spending so you could be saving money but also helping the environment at the same time and yet again it brings it home it makes you realize you know or oh, if I flick that light on that's how much I'm using there it just it, it makes it more 
you know, measurable. People can then understand how much they're using, you know, how often they're using it um, and just helping people to be a little bit more mindful, like we're trying to encourage, you know, through this whole podcast. Um, so, so yeah, so moving on to like uh, the, the national or the leadership level of responsibility, we just wanted to touch on that. And I wanted to, I'm really interested to hear, uh, Jen, your points on, on how that, um, possible solutions from that aspect of how that level um, of organization can can influence action and change yeah so the um, the environmental activist movement I would say very much focuses on kind of the leadership level the national leadership level whether it's our politicians whether it's you know the head of the NHS whether it's the CEO of the CSP it's kind of the decisions and the influence that these groups and people can have is actually where the change needs to happen and us as little people feeling you know this narrative that it's all on us and we just need to have less cups of tea and cycle and then the problem's going to be fixed puts a huge amount of responsibility on us as people and I think that contributes to you know the mental health anxiety that people get with climate change because they feel maybe guilty that they're not doing things that they can't do or it doesn't work for them um so kind of I think at this national level, that's really where the, the biggest changes that can have the biggest influence, whether that be through policymaking and all these things. So as an individual, it can be really overwhelming to understand how you might have any impact on that. But it, it just comes down to things like your vote, making sure you vote and have, maybe having a look at the sustainable policies and practices of that person and it can seem really abstract and you know why is that related to us as a physio but you know all of these things are so so interconnected um it might be doing things like having your showing your right to protest um getting out there and you know showing that you care about something and it's important um or um kind of joining like a, a national group can also be a really great thing to do. So I've, I've already mentioned the Environmental Physiotherapy Association um, who provide loads of information um, about kind of the links between physiotherapy and the environment. Um, there's also in the UK Physio Susnet who are a professional group of the Centre for Sustainable Healthcare and kind of bring together lots of information and evidence on physiotherapy and uh, sustainable practice and then you do have the more kind of like activist groups that are kind of actively putting pressure on these kind of decision making bodies and um, people in leadership positions to get them to bring change and bring it quicker so that would be things like med act um, you've got doctors for xr if anyone wants to go down that route or things like health declares again which is where physiotherapy declares comes in as we're kind of the physiotherapy professional subgroup of the health declares movement which is asking for health clear or healthcare organizations to recognize their role in climate change and um, make tangible action and difference towards climate change and um, you know start to talk about this as an emergency and do things about it to change to make this problem better <laughs> Yeah, I think you kind of plugged that quite nicely for, for the last part where I feel like this is probably a good opportunity to tie everything back together and come back to what actually Physio declares um, is and, and 
what their goals are sort of short term and then and then longer term so Jenna if you kind of just want to give uh, a bit of a summary of of, of who physio declares are um what what they're trying to do who they're trying to to engage um and sort of what their key messages are um that can kind of bring us all back to where we started yeah absolutely so um yeah as i said physiotherapy declares are like a sort of subgroup of the health declares movement so health declares are a group of health professionals across the uk who recognize that um the health emergency requires urgent action um and they want healthcare organizations to declare this climate emergency divest from fossil fuels and take action so it's really um, like groups of healthcare professionals kind of by their by their subgroups so whether that's like gps or um like emergency physicians or midwives or nurses the pharmacists have been doing loads of stuff so kind of there are all these groups that are putting pressure on their governing bodies or their royal college so for us as physiotherapists we are lobbying the chartered society of physiotherapy to ask them to declare this climate emergency and start to take action to do things um, in terms of transitioning towards sustainable health care so a really big one for us is um, education so getting education into pre-registration courses. So I don't know like, how many of the listeners out there have learned about this and on their courses and it being seen as being kind of an essential part of our education rather than just this kind of random add-on thing that seems a bit abstract and doesn't really seem to make sense of why you'd be like learning about climate change on your healthcare course. Um, so again, the Environmental Physiotherapy Association have got um, a campaign, it's called the EPT Agenda 2023, where they want to see um, sustainable healthcare and sustainable physiotherapy on these pre-registration courses around the whole world by 2023 for kind of all students to have started doing it. And there's great stuff on their website about all the different physiotherapy programs across the whole world and how it's starting to be incorporated into their courses. So whether it's through teaching on like health inequalities, because we know climate change is only going to exacerbate health inequalities. It is a social justice issue. Those who have contributed the least to climate change and the least to our changing planet are going to be affected the most. And that's not just in kind of these lower income countries, that's here in the UK. You know, people who live in lower socioeconomic groups also tend to live in places with the highest air pollution. Um, they tend to have the most health conditions. So as our planet changes, they're gonna be affected most. And you know, that's, that's not right. Um, so it's kind of, as physios in, in Physio Declares, we're kind of advocating for that. And we want to see this exciting opportunity for physiotherapy be taken by the horns by our, um, our professional body and put physiotherapy front and center. We, as we spoke about, we have the solution to this with our hands, our minds, our communication, we're conservative, we're the green option. So let's get physiotherapy front and foremost. If rehab is out there and is a priority, which I know that the CSP do work on, they really advocate for physiotherapy being increased as a service. Um, well, that's sustainable in itself. So it's getting kind of the link recognized within the profession, realizing how much we have to offer and kind of getting us put front and foremost in the solution to this within the UK. And I think even if 
one person has listened to this and you know kind of feels like yep that i i agree with all those things and they sign up to it and, and show their interest in it then you know this podcast has served its purpose um or certainly this episode has served its purpose in terms of in terms of gaining traction with with the physio community yeah definitely that's uh that would be great even if just for kind of our generation of new physiotherapists to mm-hmm. kind of start to make that connection and just realize how much we have to offer because that's what i think is really exciting fantastic so now we're going to move on to the three questions that we ask all of our guests so the first one is what would you say the three most important behaviors or traits are for a physiotherapist in your experience and why so for me the first one that came to mind was um critical thinking um so that's kind of not taking things at face value and questioning stuff. I think I spoke about this before when we talked about kind of being that brand new band five in your rotation, you've just turned up to the department and naturally we'll start to ask, oh, why is that being done like that? And, oh, how does that work? Or um, why is that the process? And it's all that kind of critical thinking that I think is so important. Um, It's the same kind of mindset that helps us question the evidence and push evidence-based practice forward and finding kind of new ways, better ways of treating our patients. So yeah, I think critical thinking is massively important. And uh, although it can be hard to have the confidence to do that sometimes, especially when you're like the newest person in the room and you feel like you basically don't have a clue what's going on. But actually, if you've got a question somewhere in the back of your mind, it probably is really relevant. And it's maybe just people that have been in that department or in that team for ages and ages. just don't see it anymore because they've been there for ages just how things are done so yeah critical thinking I think is really really important um the next thing I would say is um like compassion and empathy being able to understand or trying to understand things from other people's point of view whether that's your colleagues in a team um again like healthcare has had a battering in the last two years pandemic has been brutal and it's been really really hard for people so you know whether it's having empathy with a colleague when they're a bit snappy but actually it's probably because they've got other stuff going on um or whether it's with a patient and being able to understand the point of view of patients putting across when they didn't do their exercises again for the third month and it's gotten really frustrating <laughs> but they probably got stuff going on um and i think in terms of climate change and you know coming at it from someone that you know I want to see change and I'm frustrated that more things haven't been done and I'm really worried about what's going to happen but you know I try to have empathy when um you know discussing these matters and you may be discussing it with organizations or people that haven't seen the connection or um don't see the need for doing things and just understanding that everyone's coming at it from a different point of view and we can all only do what we can do. And whether that's you just starting to recycle your plastic or whether you've just installed a heat pump in your house and you grow all your own fruit and vegetables and you sew all your own clothes. Do you know what? Like we can all only do what we can do. So it's like having empathy to understand that everyone um, everyone comes from their own situation, experiences and background. And you know, we just need to respect that to all get on together in the world and have a nice time which is all we want (laughs) 
Uh, and then the last thing I would say, yeah, is a sense of humor. Um, stuff can be really rubbish, but if you can have a laugh about it, then it always feels a bit better. <laughs> and whether that's a really sick patient or whether it's, you know, a really sad situation and a patient's passed away or whether, yeah, you're just having a hard time at work. You just like having a laugh about stuff just brings people together. And yeah, I think it's really important. That's, that's quite nice, actually. I think that's the first time that we've had sense of humor as being a, an important behavior or trait as a, as a physio. But I can I can definitely see why you've said that, um, you know, like you mentioned, the difficulties that healthcare professionals, you know, maybe go through. Yeah having a sense of humor and a bit of personality to, to, to get yourself through that is um, invaluable really. And then um, also I think that that point you made about compassion and empathy and, and looking at it from that angle has always been, you know, you know, oh, it, they mean the best and they're not, you know, people don't go out of their way or some people do, but assuming that people are trying their best and they're trying to do, you know, uh, that no one's set out to get you, but, but actually that, you know, you're staying positive and they, they didn't mean to, you know, hurt me or whatever is definitely a positive angle to, to come at it from. And um, yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, I think uh, that's definitely somewhere where the military gives you like a good grounding, particularly in the sense of humour thing. Um, that kind of black humour and like a bit of sarcasm and, you know, just just have a laugh about stuff because when it's really bad what else can you do if you can't laugh you cry so <laughs> you just need to get on with it <laughs> um so the next question is what excites you the most about the future of physiotherapy so i thought about this question i feel like i've got to talk about sustainable healthcare really on this one um but yeah that is what excites me the most um we've spoken loads about what physio has to offer and how we're the green healthcare choice and climate change actually provides us with an opportunity. So I'm super excited to see how we can kind of reframe what physiotherapy is over the next you know, few decades or years, however long it's gonna take. Um, and not just being kind of limited to being in our you know, clinical environment with no windows away from the outside and, just treating our patient and thinking about their body and the problems they have and what we have in our little toolbox to help them out, but actually kind of just blasting the boundaries on that. And, you know, actually maybe being physiotherapy, like doing physiotherapy also includes like sitting on the local council group and advising on air quality and how we increase cycle paths within the area. Like, maybe that's physiotherapy as well. And maybe that's something we can do. And, you know, there's loads of skills that we have that make us appropriate to do that. So I'm excited about kind of how physiotherapy is going to develop and how, how much wider it can be. And um, yeah, kind of the difference we can make to what is essentially the biggest threat to humanity that we've seen. <laughs> <laughs> to put it uh, no coldly, <laughs> yeah, but it's exciting. You know, we're in a position to be able to make a lot of change and, you know, create a lot of positive um, solutions to what's going on. So I think that's super exciting. And um, I can't wait to see physiotherapy step up to the plate to do that. I, th I think I would definitely agree with you on that um, sort of movement of physio into a more sustainable profession from even what it is at the moment and I kind of think there seems to be a, a shift 
in the focus of the profession sort of every 10 years, give or take, um, where something new comes to the fore and really drives the profession in that sort of certain direction, if you like. And, you know, if you think about um, the sort of physio from sort of 15, 20 years ago and this whole sort of hands-on manual therapy and now it's very much exercise based and you kind of got in the last couple of years this real movement into being more technology based and maximizing um, technology with within the profession and I think that there's definitely scope for the next progression of that into us being more sustainable and being more conscious of, of what we're doing um, from from that point of view so I, I definitely think that is something that's exciting um, and I actually think that's something that will probably happen as well. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and for the final question, uh, and this can be answered in any way you want, it's um, on purpose that it's uh, very general. Um, so are you satisfied? So again, I think my answer to this will have to be no, <laughs> um, <laughs> because uh, as we discussed, physiotherapy declares are lobbying our professional body for more change and we don't feel unfortunately that our professional body is doing enough and we don't feel that physiotherapy is doing enough and I don't feel we're kind of taking the climate the problem of climate change and the links to health I don't think we're taking it seriously enough so um, I'm not satisfied with what uh, the CSP are doing and I want them to change and I want them to listen um, so yes I'm not satisfied however to end on a positive um, I think that there's lots that can be done and can be done quite simply. So um, I think, like you said, Lewis, we're maybe on a precipice of change and we're about to see um, things um, be seen and considered in, in a different light. And when we look to our other healthcare professionals, whether that be like the Royal College of GPs or um, the pharmacists, they're doing massive things across their profession. And it's really inspiring to see what they've uh, been able to do and how they can kind of advocate for sustainable healthcare um, for the sake of our patients. Um, and yeah, I think that I'm not satisfied right now, but I'm hoping that things are about to make a change for the better. So. Right. I think that kind of rounds off uh, the episode. So from all of us, I just wanted to say uh, thank you very much for coming onto the podcast. Um, it's been a privilege to have uh, you on and, and I've definitely really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, and if anyone wants to find out more about Physio Declares, we'll add it to our, our link tree so you can access it. Um, and yeah, Jen, this is your chance to do any more plugging of resources if, if you've got any more um, before we round off the episode. I just want to say thank you very much, Connor and Lewis. I think your podcast is brilliant. You expose students to some issues that we may not otherwise get to learn about or hear. So just thank you very much for having me on and thank you for all that you do. Oh, thank you. That's lovely. <laughs> um, right, so I'm going to close it. Uh, I buttered this the last time, so this is my chance to redeem myself. Um, <laughs> so that's it for episode 20 of the podcast. Uh, we hope you really enjoyed listening. And please send us any feedback you have to our Instagram page. As always, don't forget to follow us on Spotify by typing in the Student Physio Podcast and follow our Instagram and Twitter at Physio Podcast One. Thank you very much for listening and bye for now.